We're in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. We're walking through chapters 6 and 7, and we turned a corner, as we've already mentioned, to what it is to live out the Christian life. And that's really what 6 and 7 are. It's about God's work of progressive sanctification in our lives, of changing us from one degree of glory to another. And we're going to be in this for a while and talk about this for a while, but let me just quickly um, bring us up to where we are in chapter 6, and then we're going to, to move on in this text. We have been talking for a number of weeks uh, about this idea between indicatives and imperatives. An indicative is just a statement of fact, and then imperative is a command. Sometimes the Bible is using indicatives, just making statements of fact. And what chapter 6 is, as it begins all the way down through chapter verse 9, is indicative, just saying what it means to be in union with Christ, what all the blessings and benefits are of being in union with Christ, being in Christ and no longer in Adam, if you want to have that picture carry over from chapter 5. And then last week, we said we changed gears. We went to the imperatives. He, he began to say, to do something. So it says in verse 11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, which is kind of a transition because it is an imperative, but the imperative is to believe the indicatives. He's saying, all right, believe what I just said to be true for you. That's really what his admonition was last week to do. And I hope that maybe this week you went back over those. I hope you're thinking about what it means to be in union with Christ and coming out of Adam and being in Christ and all the blessings of that. But now, now he goes a little farther and he, he begins to move into the imperatives. And the next weeks we'll look at some of those things that he says as we go along in our battle against sin. I want to just take a minute this morning to to just go back to last week and tell you what my week was after Sunday was over a bit. Sunday afternoon wasn't a very pleasant experience for me. And it moved into Monday and Tuesday. It, it started to fall away a little bit as I got back into to the week a bit. But I went away troubled. I, I, don't, I don't normally say these kinds of things here. I've been here long enough, you know that. But I went away troubled last week. And I thought, well... Part of my trouble, it's not that that isn't the first time it's ever happened, and sometimes the trouble is caused by myself. I just didn't prepare well enough. I didn't communicate well enough. I didn't say what I really wanted to say. And that certainly could be part of that trouble as I went away. I, I always want to go there first. could be me. But I, as I went through that, those days, I began to think, well, that's probably some truth in that. But it also could be that there's a spiritual battle going on. And the, the subject we're talking about is not a popular subject. We're talking about sin. We're talking about sin in our lives. And should we not expect when those subjects come up for 
there to be another who would like to confuse that and trouble that? And I think some of it was that. Um, Because what we're talking about is sin in our lives, sin in the believer's life. And my goal last week, uh, oftentimes this is kind of inside of how you prepare for Sunday mornings. If you're a pastor, you kind of have a direction you're going to go. You, 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 want to, you want to tell what the text says, but then you kind of have a desire of what the in- outcome ought to be if you properly unfold that text when it's done. And my hope last week was that I would instill hope within people. Talking about a tough subject, sin, sin in the Christian life, but when they went away, they wouldn't be beaten down, but they would have hope in their souls. And, and I was troubled that maybe that didn't fully happen as I wanted it to. Again, could be partly because of me. But maybe some other things are going on at the same time. A kind of what Francis Schaeffer used to talk about, a battle in the heavenlies that goes on all the time. Um, so I don't know for sure. But what I do know is this, what I do know is this, that Satan wants us to leave every Sunday morning with despair. That's what he would like, that you come here, and as you go out, you don't go out hope-filled, you go out with despair, beaten down. That's what he wants. That's his goal. God's goal is different than that. And, and hope is so essential to that. Even as we begin to talk about battling sin, that's what we're going to talk about this morning again. We talk about battling sin. The, the foundation of that is hope. In fact, it's, it's one of the key mechanisms, one of the key things in our tool belt to fight sin is hope. And so you see why last week, if... We, I went away with a sense that we didn't fully accomplish that, the trouble that that would create, and that's how I felt. And so this morning, again, my goal, my goal all through all of these messages is to, to unpack the text, but unpack the text in a way that is hope-giving to God's people as they go out. So the picture that I'm going to talk about today is one of battle. That's, that's the way to describe our ongoing relationship to sin, even as Christians. It is a battle. It is a battle. And, and it is important that we understand that. I think that's what verse 12 says when it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It's a battle. There's no other way, really, to fully describe it, I think, than that. It's a battle. Christians still deal with it. It's, they, they, they have a different relationship to it in many ways and should see it differently, certainly, but they still have to deal with it. They still have to wrestle with it. They still have to do battle. So these are the four things that I want to talk about today fairly quickly. First of all, I want, number one, to, you to be encouraged in the battle. So I'll begin by trying to give encouragement in the battle. Secondly, be realistic about the battle. See it for what it is as best you can. If you don't see it right, you won't battle right. You'll get some misconceptions. 
Thirdly, fight the battle from a foundation of justification. We'll, we'll talk more about it. From the foundation of justification. You don't fight the battle to be justified, to be made right with God. You fight the battle from a position that you already know you are. And finally, fight the battle together in community as we come to these tables. We'll talk about that. First of all, be encouraged in the battle. Be encouraged. We've already said that one of the indicatives is we've died to sin. We've died to sin. How can we live in any longer? But what we also said, and you need to go back to the message, I can't recount all of that, died to sin does not mean that we won't still deal with it, that it won't still be something we have to battle. You'll use that word. You will still battle it. Young person, let me tell you, the fact that you battle with sin does not mean you're not a Christian. Now, there are other things that might indicate you're not a Christian, not a follower of Christ, but just the fact that you battle a sin is not. So just get that clear. Understand that. That you're tempted and sometimes you give in to temptation. Doesn't mean you're not a believer because believers deal with that and believers sometimes give in to temptation. The scripture says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. It would not say that to Christians if there weren't a potential for it to happen. The admonition is don't let it, don't let it happen. You see, again, the scripture, does, when it says die to sin, does not mean that no longer do you sin or have the potential to sin. We still, all of us, all of us, as even as believers, still have indwelling sin within us. It is there. And in this particular text, he uses the term mortal body. It, it finds its beachheads in our mortal body. And, and again, we've said a couple of times when he talks about the body, he, he's not saying that the body is sinful and the spirit isn't in the sense that one is sinful, one isn't, and you can dichotomize it like that. It's not what he's saying. I think what he talks about when he uses the word mortal body is the body is an emblem of the fact that redemption still is not fully accomplished. It is not fully accomplished. We're going to get new bodies one day. We have resurrected bodies one day. And, and the body, in, I think, in this text is more than just the physical body, but, but things come through the body and manifested out of the body. Beachheads in the body, those kinds of things happen. So that's ways to look at that when he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. It's not just that it's just in your body, because I think that term body is broader than just our physical body, although I think it entails that, but not just that. So first of all, when the scripture says that you have died to sin if you're in Christ, it does not mean that you will never sin again as a Christian. And that if you do, you become an unchristian and you bounce back and forth. That's not the picture here at all. The second thing is, in Christ, I hope this is hope giving to you, in Christ we're under the reign of grace. We are under the reign of grace. Again, what does that look like? What does it mean to be under the reign of grace? It means that the penalty of sin is gone that it was put on Christ for us. And he gives us his righteousness. We, again, all the way through the first five chapters of Romans, we talked about that again and again and again. There's a righteousness from God that is revealed to us. 
his righteousness that he accomplishes, that he lets be credited to our account. So the penalty of sin, if we're under the reign of grace, the penalty of sin is gone. It will not be held against us. Our sin, past, present, and future, the penalty is paid in Christ. And therefore, one day, one day, we will be free from the presence of sin. Because there's no penalty for sin, access now into his presence in which we stand with the hope of glory, it says earlier in Romans. And the hope of glory is there will be no sin. The impulse to sin will be gone, let alone giving in to temptation. It'll be gone. And I hope we long for that. I hope we see that in the table. That is the hope where we're all headed. But now we live now in these yet unredeemed mortal bodies here on earth. The kingdom has come, but it's not fully come. In fact, the the picture that we get earlier in Romans 6 is we've been raised to new life. That's that's now. When, When we become a Christian, we are raised to new life by the Spirit of God. And one day our Bodies literally be raised. We will receive new bodies, resurrected, glorified bodies. But you see, the power of the resurrection of Christ begins, begins when we come into union with Christ and continues on until that day when the very presence of sin is gone. But in that period of time between the now and the not yet that we've talked about, we do battle. We do battle. Christians do battle. In fact, one of the marks, one of the marks of being a Christian is that we do battle. We, we don't take sin lightly. Now, we don't always succeed in that battle, but we do battle. So be grateful for the battle. There's a battle within you. If, if one is purely in the flesh, purely in Adam, that's one of the differences. If you're in Adam, there's no battle. You just purely live in the flesh. And in those fleshly desires, there's no battle there. But when you come to Christ, a battle begins. We'll talk about that more. But let me give you a couple of texts. Again, one that we read a bit this morning, or or last week, this one. This is Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 20. Know the immeasurably greatness of the power toward us who believe, according to the working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. What's that talking about? The fact we've been raised to new life by the power that raised Christ. The resurrection power of Christ comes to us when it brings us to life. When we, when we come into you, we put our hope in Christ and come out of Adam into Christ. And then Ephesians 3.20, which was on the screen this morning. Now to him, now to him who is able to do it far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That context of that verse is in the context of living out the Christian life, letting the Holy Spirit, who brings us to new life, so reign in us, the reign of grace in us, to do more than we can even imagine. The promise God gives Again, allow me to talk a little personal here. My own conversion to Christ happened quite a while ago. I was 18 years old, 1973, my high school auditorium. 
I remember that evening I went to a Youth for Christ concert. Didn't know a whole lot about the gospel. But I did know enough that at the end of Billy Graham crusades, they oftentimes gave invitations. At the end of this gospel presentation that night, they asked us to come forward in that auditorium. I'd, I'd ask a girl that afternoon to go with me. It was a way to have a date with her. And I said, do you want to go? And I think I'd have gone even if she didn't, but she went with me. You know, I don't even remember a lot of what they told us. I said this story before. I don't even remember a lot of what they told us. But, I, but something happened that evening. What happened was I was raised to new life. I put my hope in Christ as much as I understood it. Because I remember going home. I remember, I remember there was, it, was, it was just, I was different. There was something unique. I couldn't explain it. But something had happened to me. I remember talking to my mom a bit about it laying there in bed, telling her. Um, but, but the interesting thing is just some things fell off in my life. Not a ton of things, but some things began to fall off. A couple in particular, just, just I, I had a new power to resist in a couple of areas in my life. Uh, a new power. And that's, that's really the third part of, of, of what it means to be under the reign of grace we're freed from the penalty one day of the presence, but when we're raised to new life, a new power is available now to us to resist sin. And, and there the battle begins, right there. We'll talk again about that in a little bit. But the interesting thing is God is still, still working in me to, to find areas that need to fall off. You see, you don't, you don't get a couple and then you're done. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process because the more that you do battle with sin, the more you see you need to do battle. It's an ongoing lifetime experience of battling against sin. And with the hope that we can be successful by the power of Christ. The third thing... um, We have the reign of grace over us, but the reign of grace comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. We've already alluded to that. It comes because the Spirit raises us to life. When we come to life, that's what does it. The, the, the same Spirit that raised Christ raises us to life. It's interesting. This is what Jesus told. The disciples were confused. The disciples were having a hard time. Jesus was talking about leaving, and they didn't like it. They didn't understand it. They were, they were confused. But this is what Jesus said to them in John chapter 16. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus telling his disciples who are absolutely dumbfounded about what he's saying. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. It's better for me to go. Why? Because the helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwells believers. And it is better because he indwells us and helps us. Peter, Peter's denial. We all know that, don't we? We all know that Jesus predicted that he would deny, or that Jesus predicted Peter would deny him three times. But Jesus said more in the midst of that prediction. Remember that he said more? He said also to Peter that he would 
Pray for him. He'll pray for you, Peter, that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen the brethren. Now, we all remember the prediction of failure, but sometimes we miss the second part of that word where he said, I'll pray for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned, you will strengthen the brethren. How do you think Peter might have interpreted what Jesus said then? If we'd have gotten Peter after the fact, after the resurrection, after he'd begun to, to uh, follow Christ in the post-resurrection era, after Pentecost, what do you think Peter would have said? How would he, what commentary might he have said about that little interaction with Jesus? James Boyce has written something that he thinks Peter might have said. Listen to what he says. This is Peter speaking now, according to Boyce. When Jesus told me that he had prayed for me so that my faith would not fail, he meant, this is again what he thinks Peter might have said, he meant, apart from me, I could not stand against Satan. I think he's probably pretty spot on. Pretty spot on. Peter was pretty, pretty self-sufficient, wasn't he? I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never do it. But he did. And he needed to learn that apart from me, apart from me, G, uh, Peter, you can't do it. But, but, the flip of that is, it's better that I go because the helper will come. Do you know the reality of the helper helping? I, I hope that you will look to him in the midst of the battle. And we can't either do it without the helper. We can't battle successfully without it. So be encouraged. That's point one. The others will go faster. Be realistic about the battle. Let me quickly say these things. We'll say them more later. I'm going to say to you, it's a lifeline, but it's a lifetime battle. It's a lifetime battle. So be realistic about it. You, you, you don't coast, really, ever in it. It's a battle. It's a lifetime battle because there's so much to fall off of us, isn't there? Back to my own story a bit. I told you some things fell off pretty quickly. I'm not going to tell you all of them, but one of them was my tongue. I, 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 could, I could curse with the best of people, and I did it reflexively. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about it. It would just come. It would just come. It wasn't good. And... Uh, it just almost instantaneously, um, it began to fall off. It, it fell off really actually pretty quickly. There were times early on when, you know, you'd, you'd feel an impulse, and it would, I, just, I just knew, I just knew that wasn't a good thing to do if I'm going to follow Christ. And it fell off. And, and continues, I think, for the most part, to be off. But, but, there are times... There are times in the midst of a frustrating experience, something going on, it, it bubbles up. <laughs> it bubbles up. And I've, I think I've learned wisely enough not to let it bubble out, at least if there are people around. And in those times, this is, this is what I think. I think, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Years, years, and 
Where did it come from? It came from the fact that we, 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 we can't ever coast. I mean, we have indwelling sin, and, and we need to battle it. And, and even things that pretty successfully have been battled sometimes will bubble back up. And again, we fight the battle. It's lifelong. Again, that's not a negative statement because God does do works. But don't get too... You understand what I mean? Be careful. Be careful. Because just when you think you've arrived is when trouble can come. The battle, secondly, begins at conversion. It's a lifelong battle. It, and, and, and God gives us victory and we succeed and hopefully more than we lose, but, but it's, it continues on. And part of the reason it's a lifelong battle is because there's new ground to be conquered. I just told you about old ground. You see, the problem is sometimes old ground pops its head back up. And you've got to make sure, but there's always new ground. There's always other compartments and places in my life and in your life. And, and in fact, the more you battle sin, the more you see there is to battle. Uh, that's just the truth. The more you battle it, the more you see there is to battle. Doesn't mean you don't have successes, but you still have battles. And you will until the presence of sin is completely gone, until you're glorified. The battle begins at conversion. I'm not going to say a lot about that, but you know, sometimes we think we battle to believe. No, the real battle begins after you come to faith. The real battle becomes after you come to faith. To fight the fight. When Paul talked about fighting the fight of faith, I don't think it was the fight to believe. I mean, he was just intercepted on the road to Damascus. It was the fight to continue to believe and trust God and battle in the strength that he provides. That's, that's the real battle. Thirdly, I, I need to move on here. The third one, we'll come back to some of these, but don't expect the road to be easy. Don't expect the road to be easy. That is really dangerous. It's really dangerous. We live in an age where we want everything to be easy. We want to have a life of ease. Don't, don't fall for that. I mean, it, it, it won't be easy. And some things will be harder than others. Some things will fall off harder. You'll have to battle harder with the strength he provides than in other places. Than in other places. And then this just to put in your hat, we'll talk more about it later, but start asking the question earlier. Start asking this question earlier. Start asking what's going on in my heart sooner in your life. That, that's part of the battle. In other words, um, some circumstance happens and, and all of a sudden you get agitated for some reason and 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 have thoughts or whatever start coming. Just early on, earlier on, stop back there and say, what's going on in my heart? When, I, when that agitation first starts to come, start, or whatever it is, what's going on in my heart? What's, what's making me want to linger over this page or this thing I'm looking at? Start asking that question sooner because the sooner you engage in the battle, the better. And that whole terminology, what's going on in my heart. I'm grateful to Paul Tripp. If you, if you find a book by Paul Tripp, 
about the heart, read it. He, he has helped me enormously on battling my heart um, and talking about what's going on in your heart. So, all of that. Be realistic about the battle. Thirdly, fight, fight the battle from a foundation of justification. From a foundation of knowing that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Knowing you're in Christ. And knowing that the penalty of sin is cared for in the work of Christ. And therefore will not be extracted from you. That the wrath of God, as we talked about all through Romans, that's being stored up has been poured out on Christ, not you. That's the glory of the gospel. It won't be poured out on you. And know that firmly in your life. And and the best way to say this is, and I've said it a number of times, but it's important, the only sin that can be conquered successfully, the only sin you can conquer successfully in your life is a canceled sin. It won't be held against you. So you can attack it and fight it and battle it because you know that it's canceled according against you. You, you, don't, you don't go fighting sin, as I've already said, in order to get it canceled. And if you're successful enough, then God cancels it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that he provides a righteousness and our sins are canceled if we're in Christ. They're not going to be held against us. And therefore, you can be ruthless in rooting them out because they aren't going to condemn you. Subtly, if you don't know that, you won't acknowledge them like you should because you'll have fear that if I acknowledge them, they're real and then they'll hold me guilty. You see how that works? And Satan would love to have you do that. Love to have you keep it secret and act as though it's not there or whatever. And then this this thing that I want to close with here and then we're going to come to the table really. This, This again, much of what I'm sharing with you is not original with me. It came from others. And this one especially came from others. Fight the battle with what one person calls gutsy guilt. Gutsy guilt. Just remember that term. Fight the battle with gutsy guilt. Know the way of bold brokenness is another way that, that this author would talk about this. Now, let me tell you what that means. It comes, it comes from John Piper a number of years ago. I read this and go back to it often. But you need to turn to an Old Testament text if you want to get it out of Scripture. You don't have to do that because I think we're going to have it up here. Micah chapter 7 and verses 8 is where it begins at 9. Now, let me, let me just read this text to you and then I want to give some commentary from him. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. A text, I think, that has application to a believer. One in Christ, one in union with Christ. Who has sinned? Who has sinned? A beautiful text. Let me, let me read his commentary. It's better than anything I can do. 
I'll give a part of the text, and then I'll tell you what he says about it. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. And then he says this. This is Piper. You make merry over my failure. You think you will draw me into your deception. Satan, think again. When I fall, I shall rise. Yes, I have fallen, and I hate what I have done. I grieve at the dishonor I have brought on my king. But hear this, O my enemy, I will rise, I will rise. The text, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Yes, I'm sitting in darkness. I feel miserable. I feel guilty. I am guilty. But not all that is true about me not all, excuse, I'll say that again, but that is not all that is true about me and my God. The same God who makes my darkness is a sustaining light to me. In the very darkness, he will not forsake me. The text again, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Here's his commentary. Oh, Yes. Oh, yes, my enemy, this much truth you say, I have sinned. I am bearing the indignation of the Lord. But that is where your truth stops and my theology begins. He, he, the very one who is indignant with me, he will plead my cause. You say he is against me and that I have no future with him because of my failure. That's what Job's friends said. That's a lie. And you are a liar. My God, whose son's life is my righteousness and whose son's death is my punishment, will execute judgment for me, for me, for me, and against, and not against me. And then the final line, he will bring me out in the light. I shall look on his vindication. Again, Piper, the misery that I now feel because of my failure I will bear as long as my dear God ordains. And this I know for sure. As sure as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is my punishment and my righteousness, God will bring me out to the light, and I will look upon his righteousness, my Lord and my God. You see it in that text? Gutsy guilt? You know what happens. I know what happens. As a believer, when I fail God, I sin, guilt washes over me, and and in that sense, I'm guilty. I sinned. I sinned. I'm guilty. And sometimes it it seems we, we sit in darkness a while with that. Sometimes God lets us sit there, but not, not because he is against us, but because he is for us. He is for us, not against us. And that guilt that is true guilt that I feel will not be held against me. You see what it means by gutsy guilt? Yes, I've sinned. But my hope is not that I don't sin. My hope is his righteousness. And when I'm tempted, remember the song, when I'm tempted to despair, I look up. And see him there, my righteousness. My righteousness. He is my righteousness. He is my hope. He is the one who, 
executes judgment for me. He will bring me to the light. And his justice will prevail. And the justice that prevails is the justice of the fact that he put my penalty on his son and it will prevail. I hope you see that. I hope if there's misunderstanding in that, you talk to me about that. But that is incredibly good theology. You see, we have a different relationship to sin. That's why in this whole text, we began back in chapter 6 and verse 1, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? And Paul says, no way. No way. You're, you're misunderstanding. You're misunderstanding. God's goal is, is to conform us to the image of his son. And, and if we're really in Christ, we, we understand that. And so there's times when we sin as Christians, but we feel guilty and, 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 and not good about it. But it's not even our feeling guilty that somehow merits then God's favor. His favor is toward us even when we feel guilty, even when we are guilty in that sense. Because all of our guilt was poured out on Christ. All of the punishment of that. So now it is because he is for us that he doesn't let us continue in it. Because he wants better for us. It's as a father and a son loving punishment and God does it better than a father does even. It's it's a restoration. It's a help. It's because he's for him and wants better for him. So I say to you this morning, have gutsy guilt. Gutsy guilt. And the gospel allows us to do that. We can acknowledge it. We can own up to it because it doesn't condemn us and we can fight against it that way. Well, the last point is fight the battle in community. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to come to this table this morning. Listen to the invitation because it goes right into what I've just said. This is in the middle. You've probably already read some of it. But in the middle it says, you were invited to this sacred meal, not because you are worthy in yourselves, but because you are clothed with Christ's righteousness. Do not allow the weakness of your faith or your failures in the Christian life to keep you from this table. For it is given to us because of our weakness and because of our failures in order to increase our faith by feeding us with the body and blood of Christ. What Satan would like is for your failures even of this week to keep you from the table, the very remedy for your failure. The very hope-giving thing for your failure. I hope you won't allow that to happen this morning. What we're going to do is we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. We did it once before, and so some of you may have participated in that, but if not, let me give you instructions. The elements are together as you will, you will take off of these covers. You will find that there's a cup with the bread in it and then on top of that cup is a cup with the juice. And so both of the elements are together, been prepared together. And what we would like for you to do, the balcony has, has uh, a table there and so they'll do the same in the balcony. But this row on my far left, if you would just, you'll be directed to go out one side of the pew and then come to the table Pick up the element if you'd like or pass it if you feel like you want to pass by it. Then just go back and be seated in your row. Same thing here. Again, you'll go up, come around, and in, and then this row would do the same, and then this row would do the same. 
So each section has your own table to come to, and they'll, they'll direct you when to come uh, in just a moment. But as you come, take both of the elements. Just go back to your seats, if you would, and then just remain there contemplating some of the things we've talked about, looking to the Lord, being grateful for the, the, the thing that these elements represent to us, that we can have gutsy guilt as we battle against sin in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come this morning. We can come to these tables, to your table, and that they are hope-giving to us because they represent the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel that, that as we look to Christ, we are raised to new life and as we live out that life until the day one day when you glorify us fully, your Holy Spirit dwells in us to help us. The comfort comes to reside in us, in our walk with you, in our battle against sin in our lives. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Elements are here. You'll get direction of how to come and receive them today. Behold the Lamb Silent before His accusers As thorns are pressed into his brow, they lift him up. Oh, see the spikes that hold him. Redeeming blood flows down, but look again, the cross stands empty now, and he is risen, behold. crowns before him crying holy holy is the Lamb behold the Lamb carry transgressions He freely 
text in Micah for a minute. Verse 7. I didn't read that one. This is what it says. This is what prefaces all that I just read to you this morning. But as for me, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Only a Christian can say that. Only a Christian can know that he's been reconciled to God and God hears him and he can wait for him and he won't be disappointed. That's how we deal as we walk the Christian life and sin in our lives. I look to the Lord. That's what we're doing this morning as we come to the table. Paul wrote these words, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, for, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me in remembrance of the fact that I came as a king, but a king to reconcile and rejoice in your reconciliation. Take and eat this morning 
and be grateful. And then the cup. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, Scripture tells us. Again, drink and be grateful. Stand with me, will you? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that we go from this place encouraged in the battle with the determination, if we've not been engaging very well, to get engaged again in hope. If Satan somehow has sown despair in our life to say that there's no hope for us, I pray today we heard hope again. Hope that will cause us cause us in your strength to come against remaining sin in our life and fight to root it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's peace.